how incredible his wisdom is in building all these things. So God's plan and vision for the church is so much bigger than we can contain. Uh, we've got an idea, or I've got an idea in my mind, you know, of, of what the church could become. Uh, you might have in your own mind something, an idea of what it could become. But I want to tell you God's picture, God's plan for the church is way bigger than what you can imagine and what I can imagine. I can guarantee that. Because he sees with the eye of faith what it can become in the future. And that's what God focuses on, what it can become. You know, the enemy of your soul and my soul, the devil, desperately wants to limit our view. He wants to get us thinking small about the church. He wants to see it as something that's weak and ineffective and, and pathetic and, and small. He wants us to keep, keep thinking small all the time when God has actually wanted to blow the lid off our expectation and our thinking. And if you've read the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, there's a great story there where they're, they're building the walls of the city that have been broken down and destroyed. In Nehemiah, God raised him up to, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And, and so uh, they're there working day and night to rebuild this. And along comes the enemies of God's people, a, a guy called Sanballat and another guy called Tobiah. And they start criticizing and saying, you know, what do these feeble Jews think they're doing? Uh, you know, look at the charred stones. They're pulling out of the rubbish. The city had been completely burnt. It had been razed to the ground, destroyed. And they're pulling these charred stones out of the rubbish and using them to rebuild the city wall. And I want to tell you, it's the most magnificent picture of God taking lives of people today and rebuilding them and making something magnificent out of what was broken and burnt and bruised and destroyed. That's what God does. That's just exactly what God does. So look at the charred stones they're pulling out of the rubbish. And, some, and the other guy said, well, this wall they're building would collapse if even a fox walked on it. And he's saying, what, what he's trying to do is he's trying to demoralize the people of God, trying to get them to look down and to think, well, you know, I guess we never can build anything really great here. Maybe it's only going to be pretty small. He wants you to think and see the church as something that is weak, that is feeble, ineffective. But I want to tell you, friends, if you can catch, just begin to get a glimpse of what God sees in the church. If we can see not only what it is, but what it will be, that's when things start to change. It starts to become a place that you want to invite people along to. It starts to become a place where you know that you could belong because you start to see what it really is. So today, I'm asking the question, what does a healthy church actually look like? And and today we're going to talk a little bit about the church as a family because the Bible uses a lot of word pictures to describe the church. There are many, many of them actually. And today we, we won't even get through this message about the church as a family, but we're going to touch on it. In fact, in the New Testament, it refers to the church as a family directly a couple of times. Um, but I want to say at the start of this, I'm talking about uh, not necessarily your family or my family, I'm talking about God or the Father and His family. Because you might be saying to me today, well, if you're saying here, Pastor Peter, if you're saying, you know, well, the church is meant to be like a family, and if that's anything like the family I grew up in, well, all I'm saying is just show me the door. If that's what you're thinking, I'm saying to you today, don't translate the issues that may have been in your natural family onto the church what I'm talking, because the Bible is full of really practical stuff about what a family should be, and we're going to look at some of that stuff, and we'll also use some illustrations from natural families as well. But, um, you know, there's some design principles for family in the Bible, and we're going to talk about those today, 
and uh, as it throws some light on what the church is meant to be meant to be now there are some people who who just through no fault of their own actually don't have a natural family at all and uh, maybe that's maybe that's your situation here today and I, I want to say you know the church can be that a church can be a home for the homeless and the Bible actually says that God sets the lonely and the solitary in families. Oh, I really believe that. But I want you to know today that the pictures of the Bible in the Bible about the church is so much more than that. It's not just about a home for people who don't have another home. There are many deep, deeply grounded principles of what a family should be that we need to see in the church and to understand about it. So the first thing today is... Um, acceptance because friend there should be acceptance within families one of the most amazing things about the local church uh, is that it's it's a great leveler you know and it doesn't matter where you come from your what walk of life you come from what your ethnic background what your demographic what your socioeconomic status is it doesn't matter what your history has been where you've been it doesn't matter what you're currently where you're currently at whatever, I want to tell you there's a place for you in, in the kingdom of God, in the church, and God, God is wanting to reach into your heart and to find a place that you can really belong. And you might say, well, how does that work? What, what, what is that? There's, there's this word in the Greek language that the, a lot of the New Testament was written in Greek and also Aramaic, but in Greek called koinonia, you might have heard of that word. It just means fellowship or sharing or things shared in common. And it's where this word fellowship comes from, that we have something in common. And you know what? Today, every one of us here in this room have got something. That's if you're a follower of Jesus. If you know Jesus in your heart, you've opened up your heart to God. And, and Neil was talking about it a few minutes ago, about that gift. If, if you know that His good enough is good enough for you, and I'll be your God. If, if, um, if you've said that, if you've said to Jesus, come and make Come and fill my life with yourself. If you've taken that little step, it's just like flicking a switch. It's not complicated. You don't have to say, you know, 25 Hail Marys and get the wording just right. You don't have to do none of that. That's good English, isn't it? You don't have to do that, but you've got to open your heart to God. If you've done that, I want to tell you, already there's a sharing, there's a fellowship, there's something in common that we all have, that is we belong to Jesus. There's actually something more than that. Even for people who haven't actually taken that step, who haven't opened the door of their life to God, do you know what? This might shock you. They can also find their place in the church because there's something that we all share. If you walk on God's earth out there, if you breathe his air, if you've got, you know, you were born as a baby and you've grown and, and you live as a human being, and you're breathing God's air, there's something that you have in common as well. And that is we're all made in the image of God. Every one of us here today in this place is made in the image of God. Now, I'm referring here also to people who, uh, you know, have, have not given their heart to Jesus. But I'm, look, I'm talking about people who hate God. I'm talking about people who don't believe in God. I'm talking about people who, who uh, have never even heard about God. I want to tell you, they're all, every one of them, made in the image of God. Will they be in eternity in heaven? That's another question. We'll come back to that another day. 
But I want to tell you, friend, everyone on the face of this earth is made in the image of God. And so as for us as a church, what we've got to learn to do is to welcome and accept and love those people when they walk in over that door and say, it's great to see you today. Hey, let me find a seat for you. You know, do, can I just introduce you to someone? Can I get a coffee for you? Can I, uh, I'm, I'm just a bit of instruction to our welcomers team here, by the way. You know, and um, look, the toilets are down through there, down through at the other end of the room, other end of the building. And, you know, we're starting in a couple of minutes. So let me find a seat for you, all that sort of stuff. We're going to call our welcomers team, uh, in, a, in a broader sense, the first impressions team eventually, because it's going to include the car park and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so. Well, we've got to learn how to welcome and accept people. That mean, you know what that means? Even if you're not on the welcomers team or whatever. What it means is, it means accepting people who are different to you. And it means accepting people who don't agree with you. Just think about this for a moment. If everybody in the world was the same as you, what an incredibly boring place the world would be. And if everybody agreed with you, what an incredibly boring place it would be. So when you think about that, what it just means is I need to be a little bit careful that I don't, don't get too uh, full of my own opinions and what I think because you can guarantee that every one of us, and especially myself, I especially put myself in this category, none of us are right about everything. I can guarantee that. Every one of you is wrong about something, including me, especially me, not including especially me. You know, the only person who's right about everything is actually God. And so that means we need to have a degree of humility when we think about that. And so we can welcome people who don't agree with us about everything. And uh, that's just what, you know, in a family. Look, I know families have the disagreements. We're going to talk about it in a moment. But families have disagreements. But at the end of the day, you've heard that phrase, blood is thicker than water. And if a family is functioning properly, they should accept one another and get on with life. Do you agree? They should. They should do that. Most families have got what you could call a black sheep. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's all right. God loves black sheep. He just loves them. He just absolutely loves them. You know, and you, you know, where is that in the Bible? You know, I want to tell you, it's in the Bible. It's absolutely in the Bible. And you could spend your whole life reading this one chapter of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, and you could, and you could, you could keep reading it every day of your life and never get over it. I want to tell you that it's the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but, a, well, I am going to talk about it right now for a minute. So this young guy, wealthy family, wanted it all. He wanted everything now. Uh, I love the, the uh, message translation, I want what's coming to me right now. He probably got a good slap over the head when, when that happened. But he, he got the money, went far country, wasted the money, eventually came back and back to the, back to the father's household right now. And uh, the father ran towards him. He had to sell part of the property to give the son his inheritance. He, went, he ran towards him and just loved him and, did all, and just welcomed him and accepted him. Now, we would think... The young kid, he's just a punk. He just needs to learn how to, he needs to fix his problems. He needs to get over himself. We would think that, but God doesn't. God welcomes the broken. He welcomes the wasteful. He welcomes people because he knows what they can become. And I've got to stop or I'm going to keep preaching about the prodigal son because I love it so much. I just love the prodigal son. Okay. The second thing, okay, so, 
So beyond just accepting people, what's next? Well, we've got to actually not just accept, not just tolerate people, but actually start to love people. Actually love them, the Bible says. Now, it doesn't say you have to like everybody. The Bible doesn't say that. (laughs) Is that good, Paul? But it does say you have to love them. And I want to say like is a preference. Some of you might be good at hitting the like button. I don't know. Or the unlike. I don't know what. But God doesn't say like or not. He says you must love. It's a command. In the scripture, we have a great verse in um, John 13, verse 34. Can you stick it up, Samara? It says, it says uh, I'm giving you a new com- Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Now, the beauty of that, the most amazing thing about that, John 13, 34. So it superseded the old covenant. Because in the Old Testament, God said, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And it was okay for that season. The problem is, how many of you here today really, really love yourself? Some... Some of you do, so, but you're, we're all a bit tentative, right? We're not, we're not really sure. We're not sure. Maybe we could all close our eyes and you could sort of, or you could respond privately on Facebook. You know, the point is this. A lot of people have struggled to love themselves. And that's why Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. It's a far, far higher standard. And what I want you to do now, and this is, this is for the church, he said, I want you to love one another. I'm commanding you, love one another in the same way that I've loved you. Now, some of you here know what that means, to receive the love of God in your heart, to just to receive his love into your spirit. But I want to tell you, we are instructed and commanded to love each other in the same way that God loves us, the same way he loves you. It superseded the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. But that's why we've got to learn how to receive the love of Jesus. Now, that can be hard sometimes. We were just talking about this um, yesterday, I think it was. It just reminded me of, you know, the lawn at the back of our house. We sit at the back of our house and there's a lawn there. Who's got lawn at the back of the house? A few people. Some of it, you know, it might be Catherine's. It's probably green, I imagine. I don't know. These few sort of hours at the moment, it's like a, a shade of brown, something like it's just dirt, between dirt and a couple of... Anyway, that lawn is... But when we go to water it, you know what happens? The water just sits on top it's become water repellent. And if those of you who know about pot plants and know about horticulture, sometimes if it's a really dry season, you know, you can have a pot plant or you can have a, a patch of lawn that becomes water repellent. They call it hydrophobic. It's like it's, it's afraid of the water. It repels the water. And so I want to tell you, you got, what are you going to do? You've got to get, you know, wetting agent and you've got to just keep saturating it saturating it saturating it until it begins to receive the water again you know sometimes our hearts are exactly like that we just can't receive the love of god we haven't we don't know what it means we can't believe that god really loves us and god has just got to keep saturating and pouring his love upon us and eventually we can start to receive his love keep soaking and soaking that ground Keep letting your heart just soak over the love of God. The third one is forgiveness. Philippians chapter 2, there's another scripture there, if you can put that one up. And it says, if you've gotten anything at all out of my following, out of, out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life at all, 
If being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you've got a heart, if, if you've got a heart, Paul said that, you know. <laughs> I, I can almost sense a little bit of, I, I don't know whether you want to say frustration, but he's wanting to zero right in on this. He said, if you've got a heart, if you care, then do me a favor and agree with each other and love each other and be deep-spirited friends. And what he's saying is get along with each other. Learn to resolve your differences and work through things so that you can be a community that works together on things. You know, just as a, as a family has to deal with conflict and issues as they arise. So in a healthy church, you have, to, you have to deal with conflict and issues. Now that might mean you or it might mean me or it might mean any of all of us together. We've got to, as a church, we've got to be able and willing to deal with things as they arise. So will issues arise? Of course they will. You know, will, will someone get offended? Of course they will. Someone said years ago, you know, if you want to be offended in church, it's a very simple solution. Just stay there long enough. You can almost guarantee it. You know, because I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking here. I'm serious because I'll tell you what, the Bible says it's necessary that offenses must come. Why is that? Because it's actually part of our growth process. It's part of our maturing to learn to deal with offenses when they come. Now that, that word, it's in Matthew chapter 18, and uh, that word offense uh, in, the, in the NIV, it says, woe to the world because of things that cause people to stumble. Now that little word translated things that cause people to stumble literally means in the original language, it literally means um, the, the stick that holds open a trap. It's, a, it's the trigger of a trap, an animal trap. That's what the word means. So I want to tell you, if something happens in your life, if someone is speaking to you in ways you don't like, or if someone didn't speak to you in ways that you would have liked, or, or if something does or doesn't happen the way you would have liked it, maybe the pastor didn't get to say hello to you, or he walked past you when he was going somewhere and just forgot to say hello, whatever. It could be a multitude of things. You know right there, at that very moment, there's a trap. The enemy's laying a trap for you. And he's saying, you've got an opportunity to deal with this and get over it. So if it's just me walking past you and not saying hello, it's not because I'm offended or, 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 or I'm ignoring, guaranteed I'm not ignoring you. It's just because I'm a bit, little bit, um, what's the right word? Myopic or something and focused. I'm too focused on something. Now, my job is not to be that, by the way. My job is to not be so focused, but sometimes I get a bit focused. So, um, but we can all potentially be offended. The word means a trap. Don't let it be a trap to you. Let, let God deal with that in your heart. When I know that my security doesn't rest in me getting my own way, it doesn't rest in me being popular all the time. These are things that can become traps for me. You know, um, there's, a, there's a picture in, in the Bible uh, often, often pictured as relationships in the Bible. And it's like they're like a net. Um, relationships are often pictured as, as a net in the Bible. And you know a fishing net? Because in the Bible, whenever it talks about fishing, it's always talking about net fishing, by the way. Well, almost always. There's one or two scriptures that aren't, but almost all of them, fishing in the Bible is a corporate activity, net, net fishing. But relationships are often pictured as a net and what happens when you're, if you've got a net that's got a tear in it, what uh, the fisher 
people can do is get it and they can pull it together and tie a knot at that point. You know what happens? When a net is torn and broken at that point and repaired, it becomes the strongest part of the net. And I've actually seen this happen in practice, and I know it's true, not just with a literal net, but in terms of relationships. Uh, Dell and I, we've got some uh, close friends uh, that live in far north Queensland. He's pastor of a big church up there. And, and, uh, but we all, we all came from Chinchilla uh, back in the day, a long time ago. And so we grew up in Chinchilla. Um, Dell's from Chinchilla. Can anything good come out of Chinchilla? Absolutely, I can tell you. So, um, but, but we grew up there, and, and uh, this young guy was in the church. I didn't really know him. I'd hardly met him at all. But how, how did I get to be a close friend with this guy I, I never knew? I'll tell you, I ran into his car. That's what happened. I was driving behind him to a concert in Brisbane and he stopped at the lights and I didn't stop quick enough. I ran into the back of his car. Now what happened then is I took absolute responsibility for that. Uh, I'm not sure, it's a long time ago, I'm not sure whether it was insured, it probably wasn't even insured. I paid for his car to get fixed and mine and I did everything I could to, to, to ensure that the relationship would not be breached through that. And I want to tell you, we became the closest of friends through that. A friendship that lasted, has lasted till this day, you know. And so I know that when you, when you restore a potentially broken relationship, it can be stronger than when it was before. So I'm, I'm saying to you, we don't only restore relationships because we're commanded to. We do it because it's a great idea, because it works. The Bible says... Be quick to restore relationships. And we're called to be peacemakers. Look, um, I, w- I would like to go on with more of this, but I'm just going to have to leave some of this out. Uh, last point. I'll just make this point here. Family is also where you discover who you are and what your life's destiny is about. And I believe that uh, in a family, that's the way it should be. Children should grow up and, and should work out who they are within the context of that family, with the various pressures and responsibilities and opportunities in a family. The church is exactly the same. The church should be exactly the same. People can discover their destiny, work out who they are in God, and work out what their life mission is in the context of a local church. I've seen it happen over and over again, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. The church should be, a family should be, a safe place to try things out, and to make mistakes, to learn how to ride a bike, and, and you fall over, and you know someone's going to pick you up, and you know it's going to be okay. The church has got to be the same. So I, I want to say to you here, friends, if, you, if you're doing something, like you've got some responsibility in the church, and, and you're doing something, and you completely mess it up, make a complete hash of it, you know, no one is going to say, you'll never get to do that again. No one's ever going to say that, not on my watch anyway. They're going to say, look, it's okay. <laughs> it's and they're going to just pick you up and dust you off and going to help you maybe do it again or, or we'll have a talk about that. You know, The church has got to be a safe place to make mistakes. What I love about this is that God is forming something in each one of us. I love that word forming. You know, you know um, when Jesus was calling his disciples, he said, he said to them, come, come after me and I'll make you to be 
a fisher of people. In other words, you're, you're catching natural fish here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you something else. I just love that word because you see it over and over in the Old Testament and the New. God says, come to me. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make something of your life. So what is God forming in you today? You know what God is forming and making in you is going to be reflected very much in what God is making and forming in the church. Because it's, it's a group thing, you know. And the work of God in your life can be reflected in, in the work of God in the whole church. I love that thought. Churches can be a reflection of natural families in that sense as well. I want us to bring this to a close. Now, I'll just ask our musicians can come back and... I believe today that, that God is just doing something in some, in some hearts here. And he's putting in you, at least for some of you, something you've probably never had before. It's like a spirit of sonship. Because I, I really believe that God calls us to not just be servants in God's house, but to be sons. That means daughters. It's not gender specific. Sons and daughters in his house. And that's not just an attitude or a decision we make, it's actually a spirit. It's actually a, you know, it's actually a, an anointing from God, the capacity to belong. And what's deeply embedded in that is the ability to trust. Let's just close our eyes for a moment.